0: If you have a copy of the scriptures with you, it worked. I'm super thankful. Um, If you have a copy of the scriptures with you this morning, if you would, turn with me to John chapter 16. Uh, We are going to take a look. Um, You have printed for you there uh, verses uh, 16 through 24. Uh, We're going to focus in on 16 through 22 um, today. But as as you're turning there, um, and it's also in your bulletin as well, Just a reminder of where we are uh, in John's gospel at at this point in time. Um, We're coming to the end of the meal that Jesus uh, is having with his disciples uh, before he is uh, about to be betrayed, about to be arrested, about to go through trial, um, and about to go to the cross. Uh, So Jesus is coming near the end of his his bucket list. Uh, Those last things that he hopes to do with his disciples before he departs. Uh, this earth. So these, so these are the last moments uh, that Jesus has with his disciples uh, before he is going to go to the cross. Um, so let's read this together uh, this morning. This is uh, John chapter 16, verses 16 through 22, uh, and this is God's word for us. A little while you will see me no longer, and again a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us, a little while and you will not see me? And again, a little while, and you will see me, and because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. And Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves, what I meant by saying, a little while, and you will not see me, and again, a little while, and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament. But the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice. And no one will take your joy from you. Let's pray together and uh, ask God to help us understand his word this morning. Uh, Father, uh, we come to you this morning and uh, we ask uh, that you would uh, impart understanding to us. Uh, that we would uh, look at the words um, that your servant John penned as the Holy Spirit was working in him to write down his experiences with Jesus, uh, and that we would come to a deep understanding of what is going on in these final hours here that Jesus has with his disciples before he goes to the cross. And with that, would you help us to see the cross? Would you help us to see that, that Jesus is on his way to give his life for our sin, to bring forgiveness to us, to bring healing to our brokenness? Holy Spirit, we know that apart from you, we can understand none of this. And so we pray that you would work in our hearts to understand that our Savior has given his life for us and that he is alive. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, You guys ever have uh, times in your life where you have these events and these moments that uh, you sort of looking back on it, you kind of realize that th- there was something like real significant being shaped in you um, in those times. Sometimes those are even seasons of life. Um, sometimes they're moments. Sometimes they're big things. Sometimes they're small things. But as I was thinking about that this, this past week, there were a few things that kind of came to my mind. One of those uh, was my, the, my very first semester of college of my freshman year uh, at, the, at the College of Charleston, that was a pretty watershed time in my life, and it was a season. And looking back on it, the word that comes to mind to me is just confusion. Um, my wedding day is another, is another moment in my life, and with that, I attach an awful lot of joy. But shortly after that, the first disagreement that Carrie and I had um, where we both realized that neither one of us were were perfect, um, and that carried with it, it a bit of sorrow. Um, the birth of my children; um, those these were definitely moments that, looking back on, I can see that the the Lord was shaping and forming and and, and growing me. And even as I say that the the, the birth of my children, I recognize. That there there may be some of us in here for whom um, labor and delivery and children uh, bring sorrow with it as well, too. And, and I want to recognize that and acknowledge that, too. And yet, even in that, we are being shaped, we're being formed, we, we, are, we are growing. You know, looking back on all of these, whether they're events or seasons in my own life, and I'm sure that you have your own uh, as well, too, uh, what I, I recognize is that in the midst of all of those things, um, Jesus was growing me. Uh, Jesus was bringing me to make me more mature and, and, and helping me grow and showing me about who he is and what he is doing. And in our passage that we, uh, that we have here today, The disciples are about to enter into a pretty watershed moment in their own lives. And what Jesus is doing is he is telling the disciples how he is growing them. And we're going to look at three things today. We're going to look at confusion. We're going to look at sorrow. And then we're going to look at how those things lead to a greater joy. So let's dig into this interaction that Jesus and the disciples are having together here. Verses 16 through through 19 uh, of John 16, John records this uh, this phrase that Jesus shares with the disciples. And it goes like this: In a little while you won't see me, but then again in a little while you will see me. He records that basically three times in verses 16 through 19. And what we see with the disciples is they is they is they hear Jesus' is, is that they're confused. They don't, they, they don't know what it is that Jesus is talking about. And it seems that they are talking to each other, trying to figure things out. They're trying to put together uh, what Jesus is saying. They're hearing what he's saying. They're trying to make sense of it and everything. But at the end of the day, they just feel really confused. And what they don't seem to get is that Jesus is talking about the cross and resurrection. He's talking about that he's going to go to the cross and they won't see him in a little while, but then that they will see him again, that resurrection will come. And I think for us, um, it's not that hard for us to fit into the disciples' shoes here, is it? Like, have you ever felt confused before? Yeah, I mean, I think we all know what it's like to, to feel confused. Yeah, confusion is when the experience of life and our ability to understand it don't line up. When we are trying to put all of the pieces together, but we can't quite make sense of what is happening and what is going on. My first semester of college, my freshman year, was a confusing time for me. I couldn't quite make sense of everything that was going on, of what was happening to me. I even remember a moment uh, that, was, uh, that was in the evening, and I, I remember I was, in the, I was in the bathroom, and I was on the phone with my dad, and I just remember telling, telling my dad, Dad, I don't know what's happening to me. I don't, I don't know what's going on. I can't, I can't figure things out. I feel really confused just about life uh, in general. You ever feel like I, I don't know what's next? You, you ever ask the question, like, why, why is this happening? Why is this happening right now? Feel anxious about the future and what the future might hold? You, know, you see, we can fit in the disciples' shoes here because they're feeling all of these things right now. They're going through all of this. And what Jesus does is he steps into the middle of it, into the middle of their confusion, and he says, I'm talking about the cross and resurrection. And I get that here for the disciples, the thing that's confusing to them is that Jesus is talking about the cross and resurrection. But you notice that Jesus doesn't stop pointing them to the cross and resurrection, He keeps coming back to that, what he will do in going to the cross, what he must do to go to the cross. But he's also saying to them, the cross isn't the last word. Resurrection is true, it's real, and it's coming. This is how Jesus is growing the disciples even in this moment. This is how Jesus grows us in the midst of confusion too. He points us to cross and resurrection To his death and his resurrection. He brings a bigger picture of what defines us than the confusion that we might be experiencing. Jesus' work defines our lives. Jesus grows us in confusion to reflect on and to bring to him whatever it is that is going on in our lives. That we would see that we are defined by him. And I don't know about you, but for me, that's hard. Because I want to know the future. I want to have the opportunity to control the outcomes of what will happen in my own life. And oftentimes what I realize is what I want more than Jesus is clarity. And Jesus is saying here, it's not even about clarity. It's not even about you necessarily knowing all of the outcomes of everything that is happening and going on. We oftentimes think, well, if I can just know, then everything is going to be all right. So if I can figure that out, then everything is going to be okay. And Jesus says, it's not the point. Clarity isn't the end all. Cross and resurrection. Look at me. Look at what I am doing And what he's doing in that, how he's growing us in that and maturing us in that is he is working into us a deeper and deeper trust in him and what he is doing in our lives. And in the midst of confusion, Jesus tells the disciples what will happen to them. Sorrow will happen. Sorrow will come. In verse 20, Jesus says... You will weep. You will lament. The world will rejoice at my removal from the scene. You will have sorrow. And in verse 21, Jesus says that sorrow, it's an awful lot like labor, it hurts, it's painful. You know, what I recognize in this this passage is that Jesus is really honest about how we experience life. And I actually find that pretty refreshing, that Jesus is, is, is refreshingly honest with us. Jesus doesn't ignore that we will have sorrow. Jesus doesn't ignore that we will have pain. Jesus doesn't tell us to numb it, to ignore it, to avoid it. He's honest about life. He's honest about how we are going to experience life. He's being very honest with the disciples here. He's honest about everything that we are going to experience in our lives. And I recognize that I'm not necessarily a lot like Jesus. I like the idea of of pushing away grief and sorrow. I, I like the idea of, uh, of numbing it. When grief comes, I turn to a whole host of things other than Jesus, for sure. I mean, the first disagreement that Carrie and I had after we got married, I immediately went into fix-it mode. Like, I immediately went into, okay, what do I need to do to be able to, to make this right and, and to get us back to this point where we both thought each other was perfect? Like, I immediately walk into, how can I fix this? How can I make this better? I'm not very quick to slow down, to consider, you know, I, um, I probably caused a bit of the sorrow here. Maybe there's some things that I need to apologize for. Maybe there's some things that I need to repent of. You see, sometimes sorrow is something that we cause. It's something that we actually bring to the table with our own sin. Think about it from the disciples' standpoint, okay? Jesus is telling them that they will weep, they will lament, they will have sorrow, They're going to have sorrow that Jesus is going to die. But you know what? They're also going to have sorrow over the fact that every single one of them are going to abandon him. That they're all going to leave him. That they're all going to walk away in his greatest hour of need for his friends to be with them. Some of the sorrow that they are going to experience is sorrow of their own actions. And even when they see the resurrected Jesus, you can imagine that they thought to themselves, I left him. I abandoned him. And that's why in the resurrection, Jesus comes to them and he tells them, it's okay, it's going to be all right. Sometimes sorrow is something that we cause and we go through because of our own sin. And sometimes sorrow happens to us too, doesn't it? You know, For the disciples, they are about to lose their friend. And that is cause for weeping and lamenting and being sorrowful. And even then I recognize in the midst of when sorrow happens to me that I really want to ignore it. I'd really like to push past it. One of those watershed moments that's happened in my in my life was losing my grandfather. And you guys have heard me talk about my papa often. You see my dad was an only child. He didn't have any brothers and sisters. And so when my papa was coming near the end of his life, in so many ways, I became more like a brother to my dad um, and got to see things from his vantage point as the son of his father. And I remember, I remember when my papa died that I immediately went into work mode. How do we get the arrangements set up? How do we get food there? We've got people coming out of town. How do we make sure that they've got somewhere to to stay? I immediately, instead of dealing with the fact that I've lost someone who's so close to me, I immediately wanted to go right into how can I work through this and not have to actually face what is happening to me here. Do we see what Jesus is doing With his disciples here, what he's doing with us, he's telling us, lean into it. Face it, it's gonna happen. It will happen. You will weep, you will cry. Do we see what Jesus is doing? Jesus is pastoring them, Jesus is pastoring us. And recognize this, he's the one who's gonna go to the cross. He's the one who is about to walk there all alone. And he looks at his disciples and with love for them, he pastors them through what is about to happen in their lives. He tells them, lean into the sorrow. Lean into the grief. Face it. It's real. Name it. Hurt. Cry. Be willing to weep and lament. And he knows all these things personally. Because he is about to go to the cross. He is about to go and experience what it's like to feel all alone. But you know what? Jesus is also refreshingly honest about something else too. Greater joy. In verses 20 and 21, Jesus is saying that the confusion... And that the sorrow that the disciples are going to experience, that it is going to lead to a joy that is greater than that. Um, how do we think about joy? How do you think about joy? I spent some time uh, thinking on that question this, this past week, and I had a few things that kind of came to mind on how I think about joy. Um, uh, a new pair of shoes. Um. Uh, for me, joy is knowing that we need to get out of town and getting on the road um, at the time that internally I've told myself we have to be on the road by. Yeah, you ever experienced that? That's, that's a small joy for me right there. Like we made it out of the door at 7.27. I'd convinced myself that that's when we needed to leave. Um, for me, um, getting the last piece of meatloaf, um, that's a joyful experience for me. Uh, dancing with my kids. Love doing that. Love cranking up the music and dancing with them. It's so much fun. Um, a day off. How about that? Yeah. Uh, date night. You know, these are these are all things that are that, that are certainly joyful to me personally. And you can put yourself in those shoes too. Like there, there are things in in your life. Maybe some of those things are a raise. Uh, maybe a promotion. Uh, maybe you got into the college that you wanted to get into. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe you you see on the horizon that vacation that you really need, that time off that you, uh, that you really need. Now, none of this stuff is bad. All this stuff is, is is good stuff. But as I think about joy and how I process joy in my own life and in my own heart, what I've recognized is that oftentimes I tie joy specifically to circumstances in my life. For me, often joy equals the right circumstances. And Jesus is saying here that joy is actually something that is greater than our circumstances. And he's even saying that it comes through sorrow. Think about that for a second. Joy and sorrow are not opposites. Jesus is saying that joy and sorrow are actually something that fits together. How does that happen? How does that work? Well, Jesus gives us an answer. He says, labor and delivery. That's how that works. Verse 21 You know, in verse 20, Jesus tells his disciples, he's like, look, you're going to weep, you're going to lament, it's going to be sorrowful, the world's going to rejoice, but let me tell you something. That joy is going to absolutely turn into sorrow, and it's a lot like this. It's a lot like when a mother goes into labor, and her hour has come, and she goes through incredible anguish, but then... When the new life comes, she doesn't remember the anguish that she's had to go through, the sorrow that she has had to to go through, because that new life is in front of her. Now, I have not personally experienced labor and delivery. Though I would say roughly half of you in here have. Um, And I do want to name and recognize that for for some of you... um, Jesus' description here of new life and and joy might not necessarily be your personal experience. Um, But I want you to know that Jesus is getting at something even bigger than labor and delivery that we're going to ultimately get to. But in my experience of Jesus' illustration here, having not personally gone through it, I'll have to say it's pretty accurate. It's pretty accurate experience. I've gone through this um, four times, um, and I'll have to say, it's, labor's pretty anguishing. It's, in, it, it's, it's incredibly painful. Um, I mean, I even experienced personal pain, and I wasn't even the one doing it. Um, so I can't imagine what the, the pain and the anguish, and even, I, even sorrowful um, that, it, that it was like for Carrie um, and, and, and I think Jesus is really getting at something here with this sorrow thing because I can remember Carrie not really looking forward to the labor part of things. right? She knew what was going to, to come. But I think Jesus is also accurate in this, that man, when that little one comes out, it's a game changer. It is a game changer. And the attention that mom has for that little one for that new life and the joy of that new life coming way overshadows the pain and the anguish that new mom has just gone through. Jesus is really accurate here. He's very accurate about what happens when new life comes. And when he talks about, when he talks about mom not remembering, he's not saying that um, well, she just forgot that it all happened. I mean, those of you that have been through this, you don't just forget about what it was that you just went through. But his point is, is that the joy of the new life being there so far overshadows that pain and that anguish. And he's even saying that you have to have sorrow for greater joy to come. Jesus is saying that joy and sorrow are not opposed to one another. That they actually belong together because joy is something greater than our circumstances. He's even saying we know greater joy because of sorrow. And I recognize that saying that, that is really hard Like, that's a tough thing to take in. I recognize that there are many of you in here who have been through unspeakable sorrow. Unspeakable things that have hurt so deep down. And maybe you're here and you feel all alone in that. And what I want you to know is that Jesus is saying that you can know greater joy even through the deepest sorrows of life. And you might be out there saying, well, how how is that? Jesus, how can you say that? Jesus, how is that possible? I've only got one answer for you. It's Jesus himself. You see, Jesus' labor and delivery illustration that he uses here, he's actually talking about himself. When he uses this word that that the mother has sorrow because her hour has come, we have to dip back into the Apostle John's use of that word hour. You see, John uses the word hour throughout his gospel as an indicator that Jesus' time to go to the cross is about to come. If you'll remember way back to the beginning of the year, way back in January, when we looked at the wedding at Cana at the beginning of John's gospel, and Jesus' mother comes to him, and Jesus' immediate response to her is, My hour has not come. Jesus is giving the illustration of labor and delivery to talk about the reality that his hour is here. Jesus is the one Who is laboring. Jesus is the one who is going to the cross. And in Jesus' labor, it far exceeds any labor pains that any of us might ever even experience. Because Jesus is going to go to become sin. For us. Jesus is going to be left all alone. The Father is going to turn his back on him. Jesus is going to be abandoned by his friends. And why would Jesus do that? Why? Well, the author of Hebrews tells us that Jesus did it because of the joy that was before him. That's why Jesus went to the cross. And that joy is bringing glory to the Father for Jesus. And that joy is recognizing that Jesus is playing this integral role in the, in, in the Trinity's pursuit of a people to save us and to redeem us and Jesus is finding joy in that that he is doing the work that he has come to earth to do that he is buying back a people with his very own body and his very own blood but do we see what else is a part of that joy Jesus says new life is a part of that joy too who's the one who gets new life we do. We are a part of Jesus' joy, beloved. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And certainly that was the work that he was doing. That was the work that the Trinity, working together as one, was doing and bringing about salvation. But Jesus looks upon us and he has joy in us. That's how much Jesus loves us. He delights in us. He says that we are the apple of his eye. Jesus walks to the cross for us. And Jesus' resurrection means our resurrection as well, too, that we will be with him in new life. Let me tell you, a watershed moment in my life was the first time that I realize the depth of what it meant, and I'm not even sure I've totally tapped into this, but the depth of what it meant to be a child of God. That Jesus is saying here, we are his joy. That he delights in us. Do you ever think about that? That the Father delights in you. He doesn't just tolerate you. He doesn't just tolerate me. He loves us. He even likes us. He wants to be with us. Jesus is willing to endure the cross so that he can be with us. And you know what's also even like above and beyond all that? Jesus actually imparts this joy to us too. We get this joy. Greater joy comes when we see that we are Jesus's joy that we are the delight of the Father, that we are sons and daughters of the living God. And just in the same way that we look at our own sons and daughters and we, oh, we just well over with love, do we realize that that's how the Father, Son, and Spirit look at us? They well over with love. And that should change the way that we see life. Confusion and sorrow, beloved, Jesus says those things lead to greater joy. And Jesus is the greater joy. Our greatest joy is Jesus. And He lays down His life for us. And He delights in us. You know what Jesus is doing? He's growing us, He is working internally in us through the confusion, through the sorrow. Through the joys of life, he's saying these things are going to happen. They will happen. They absolutely will. And he's saying, I'm growing you in these things. I'm growing you in all of these. I'm, I'm showing you and teaching you that there's something that is greater than your circumstances. And that even your circumstances drive you to a greater joy. And that is me. Our circumstances drive us to Jesus, his life his death, his resurrection. It drives us to the cross and to resurrection, just as Jesus is doing here with the disciples. And that we get to see all of life through that lens. God will use circumstances, big and small, seasons of life and moments of life to help us see what Jesus has done more clearly. Using each day to prepare us for the next. To prepare us to see Jesus again the next day. To prepare us to see the cross and to see resurrection yet again the next day. In confusion, we can trust Jesus. He is holding all of our life in his hands. In sorrow, we have hope because we know that Jesus knows our griefs. He knows our afflictions and our pains. That he endured immeasurable sorrow on the cross for us. And we even can see Jesus turning sorrow into greater joy. That the cross is not the last word. That resurrection really is coming. And how often do each of us have great sorrows that happen in our lives. And we get even years removed away from that. And this may even happen multiple times in our lives. And we look back on that and we are able to walk along somebody in the midst of their sorrow and see, Jesus, I see what you were doing there. I see what you were doing there. Because now in this person's life, I can can see what you were doing and I can see that there's a greater joy. There's a greater joy that is out there. And it is you, Jesus. It is you. In Jesus, we get to see every circumstance of life growing us. And the Holy Spirit making us more and more like Jesus. Who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. That you and I would have new life in him. And this morning we get the opportunity to celebrate that together at the table. We get to celebrate cross, resurrection. We get to celebrate new life together. You see, as we come to the table, this is a meal where God's people gather together to partake of this meal that Jesus has set before us. And we get to express our constant need of the gospel. We get to express together that Jesus has come and he has laid down his life for us for our sin and taken our place and he's given us his righteousness in place of that we get to do that together we get to proclaim that together and we also get to proclaim that Jesus isn't done with us yet that Jesus is using the confusion the sorrow and the joys of every day to work more deeply into us trust in him belief in him trust that in him it is finished He will continue to work on us. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, uh, the very night of the passage that we've talked about today, Jesus was with his disciples, and he took bread, and he broke it, and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Take and eat of it. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Take and drink. As often as we come to this table and we partake of this bread and this cup, we are proclaiming Christ's death until he comes again. And he makes all things new. If you're here this morning and you belong to Jesus, if you would say that your life ultimately is defined by Jesus and what he has done, if you are finding your identity in Jesus, then this table is for you. Come and partake of it. But if you're here this morning and you wouldn't say that about yourself, you wouldn't say, I I don't really think that my life is defined by Jesus' life. We wouldn't want you to come and partake of something that's not true of what you actually believe. Jesus is honest with us, and we want you to be honest with yourself. And so we would encourage you not to partake of this table. There's nothing magic that's happening up here in the bread and in the cup. But instead, we would encourage you to receive Jesus. He is fully and freely on offer to you this morning. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we we thank you for this meal that is set before us, that you have set to celebrate together what Jesus has done for his people, that he has given himself for us, his body, his blood, and through the cross, he's paid for our sin, and he's given us new life. And in him, we see his resurrection and we recognize and realize that we too have resurrection life because our Savior is alive. Holy Spirit, would you work in these simple means here this morning to continue to work grace into our lives that we might see that you're using everything to grow us to a deeper understanding of the greater joy that we have. In Jesus, uh, I'm going to ask that the elders that are helping us serve this morning, if they would, um, to come on up. Um, and as they are coming up, um, I'll do a little bit of an explanation of how we're going to partake of the supper together this morning. Uh, if you would come to this center aisle right here, I know there there are a few folks who are in these uh, sides uh, over here. If you would also come to the center, come down front. There's bread and there's cup uh, on each side, and you can partake on each side. Uh, and hang on to the elements. Uh, we'll, we will partake of the supper together uh, uh, to show our unity that we have in Christ. Um, and if you're here this morning and you have any sort of allergy, there is a, uh, allergy-free bread. I'm not even sure if I'm saying that right. There is bread up here that will not make you have an allergic reaction. Um, and and you, are, you feel free to partake of that. Also, if, you, uh, if you're not comfortable tearing off of the common loaf, if that 15-degree you know, shift and the worry about colds and running noses and all that's got you, you know, worrying about everything and you don't want to partake of this common loaf, that is fine, too. You're welcome to, to take of that bread right there. But give us just a few seconds, and then let's come. Let's feast. Let's celebrate together the greater joy that we have in Jesus, beloved.